I'm Michael Laurie, and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ulster Rugby Roundup. On this week's agenda, we have the defeat to Glasgow to look back on and a huge trip to Edinburgh preview as the race for Pro 14 playoff spots pots up Ulster or have two games to do. And while currently second in Conference B, it could still go down to the wire since we recorded last week. Jack McGrath has confirmed his Ulster move and Darren Cave announced his retirement vote shortly after we published last week, which was handy as always. We now know also that Will Addison is out for this season and there's also a big weekend of club action as the All-Ireland League comes to an end by the playoffs. With me, Gareth Hanna, to discuss all of that is our full-time Ulster Rugby correspondent, Jonathan Bradley. Thank you very much. Well, just for your full title. For giving me a full title. I don't, <laughs> think, I, that's I don't think anyone's ever done that before. No. <laughs> and you're getting his name right now. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> I've come a long way. What, what can I say? What a day. We've peaked just in time for the end of the season. <laughs> Making a glorious re- return alongside him is Michael Sadler. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Not a problem at all. Um, it's been a very uh, courteous opening to the podcast this week. Uh, first up then, Glasgow 30, Ulster 7. We were expecting probably an Ulster defeat. Jonathan, were we expecting a 23-point defeat? You, I don't think you expect a 23-point defeat, but for me, one, you're not going to win a game at Scotston without a scrum on a line out. So you would have expected that to go better. Once it didn't, it was almost a situation where all bets are off because you can't get a, you can't get a foothold in the game that way. And I think if you're really looking at it from the margin of defeat perspective rather than the um, nature of the loss perspective, then if you look at either side of half time, so Ulster have a penalty, go to the corner don't score them all. If they had scored from them all, which we know has been such a potent weapon for them this season, convert that. They're down by one point at halftime. Instead, Glasgow score a try just before halftime on the counter from um, from that mall feeling. They don't convert it, but um, it's still five points. So at halftime, instead of being one possibly one point down, you're 13 points down. Five minutes mm-hmm. after halftime, Glasgow score again. And you're 20 points down and the game's gone. So that those minutes either side of half time where the game got away, it sounds like it can sound foolish to say it was those were the margins in a game that finished with that size of victory for Glasgow. But at the same time, it was probably a game up until just after half time. Yeah. Has there been a, like I've probably seen a little bit of reaction on social media Michael sort of um, like saying this was a, a really bad Ulster performance what does this mean has there been a bit of a, an overreaction like everything's been so positive the last few weeks was this significant or was it just you're going to Glasgow it's a tough place to go you're probably going to get beat um, yeah it, it is a tough place to go I, we did think they would be beaten let's face it but I think the nature of the performance is what's concerning people if they do anything that even remote, remotely replicates that level of performance uh, against Edinburgh, and look, they could, they'll probably lose there as well. And that's the worrying factor. I guess, like everybody else, um, people were on a crest of a wave after the glorious defeat against Leinster. Remember, it was a defeat, <laughs> but you know, people were taking a lot of positives from that. It was a tremendous performance. We all knew that it was always going to be difficult to attempt to hit the ground running 
uh, what was it, a six-day turnaround, but then Glasgow had the same thing. Um, they, they were poor. Yes, they did start well. And Jonathan's really alluded to the fact that the mall is such a potent weapon. That's why Rob Herring's their top try scorer, for instance. They couldn't get that. That didn't work. Um, you take that out of the equation. That and the scrum's going wrong. Um, that's going to make it very difficult to get against any side. But obviously Glasgow in Conference A, you know, one of the leading sides in Conference A are going to, that's meat and drink to them. The margins were fine. This is very true. Either side of half time. These were absolutely crucial scores. Mm-hmm. But really Ulster, I thought, were looking well out of that game anyway. I didn't see them really contributing an awful lot to that after their initial good start and playing some nice shapes. They just lost their way completely. Um, so uh, I think that people are right to be concerned because at this juncture, if they were to actually drop out of the playoff zone, that would be a massive, massive kick in the guts. Really good. Surely, though, after... I mean, like, everything's been so positive in uh, the last, well, like, few months since the... The Six Nations started before then, but even across the Six Nations, they do run of results. You're, you're due a bad day. Well, it is that thing that, you know, you're never as good as people say you are, and you're never as bad as people say you are. You're <laughs> often somewhere in the middle. Like, at the end of the day, Ulster went to Glasgow, played the Warriors in a ground where they've won 22 of their last 27 games over the last two seasons. The only teams in any competition to win in Scotstoun over the last two years were Saracens, Edinburgh, Leinster, Montpellier and Scarlets. Scarlets and Montpellier last season obviously as well and Leinster last season. So those are all quality sides at the time that they went and won there. Like you have to be on your game and Ulster weren't. Like there were consistencies being thrown around an awful lot again but you know at the end of the day they were what six, seven games unbeaten before the Leinster quarterfinal. Um, so they actually, and you know, we talked about the twenty-one points from twenty-five games from those five games over the Six Nations. So they have been consistent, really. Though the sides that were playing, especially in the Pro Fourteen, weren't particularly good quality sides. Let's face yeah. it. Between Leinster, yeah. uh, who hammered them in the RDS, and then coming up against Glasgow in terms of Pro Fourteen, those are the two, big, you know, the, the strongest teams that they played, and both of those teams have turned them over quite easily. But, yeah. It, yeah, it reminded me of the Scarlets game in the Pro 14 where you were going to a place that was difficult. Mm. You didn't have all of your frontline players. You weren't at, I would say, even 80%. Mm. Maybe you were at 70%. And in that type of fixture, Ulster aren't at the minute good enough to produce a result. Mm. Like you look at their sort of away games in the Pro 14. Um, they're more difficult away games in the Pro 14 of Scarlets um, Munster Glasgow and Leinster in the RDS like that's probably the four most difficult league games they haven't had full squads available for any of them and you've lost by a combined margin of 130 points so that's to me at the minute is the difference of say where Ulster are and even a Glasgow, a Leinster, um, a Munster, say, of going away, being in that situation where you're not at your best, you're playing a decent side away, and you don't have the same intensity as the Champions Cup, say, it's you know it's a Pro 14 away game. And at the minute, when Ulster are doing that, they're not really at the races in these games. And that's the difference between 
where they are, which is an improvement in my mind on last year, and where they want to be, which is still a way off. So Andrew Boyd had asked a question this week about what Ulster need to do to improve consistency. So do you not really think the issue is so much consistency rather than just levels, and that, as you say, those are the top the top level of fixtures and also just not yeah. there yet like I think good teams win their home games and beat teams that they're better than away and great teams win all their home games and beat good sides away Ulster with the exception of Europe and bear in mind that the teams that they won away at in Europe are Leicester who are relegation threatened and Scarlets who for myriad reasons have not had a good year could be in the or, probably have a 90% chance of being in the Challenge Cup next year off the basis of how they've played this year. So they haven't done it away from home. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, as you say, the level of where they're at because they no, nobody really knows why. Like I've spoken to lots of players, I'm sure Michael has as well, about the difference between playing away and playing at home. Like, you know, Johan Muller always had that thing about it's four white lines on patch of grass you know it shouldn't make any difference but it, it obviously does and I don't think at the minute Ulster are at a place where they're going to go away and you expect them to get a result against decent teams Treviso is the only um, outlier in that this season where they've gone away to a difficult place and won I probably didn't appreciate it at the time no absolutely not but it, to answer the question more roundly of what do you need to do to get there you need 30 good players Sorry, 30 very good players like Leinster have and like I would say Glasgow have all where you can freshen things up and rotate whereas Ulster didn't really have the option to do that after the emotional and physical toll of six days ago. And you could see that certainly in some of the displays there was no question of that they need to be able to rotate more they need greater uh, squad depth and maybe with people like Jack McGrath coming up will, will help unless he's obviously pulled away by Ireland uh, mm-hmm. which would be very much his hope that it also helps his Ireland career but it could be of great benefit to Ulster if they can call upon greater strength and depth because at the moment they're having to go with Eric O'Sullivan every single time and it's great for Eric but I thought Eric and Marty Moore looked fatigued Absolutely. understandably at, at mm-hmm. Scotstown as did Jordy Murphy um, as well. Um, I thought they they, they they didn't get at that uh, really to the to the to the level of the game that they needed to be at. Would you be confident, given the signings that are already confirmed, that Ulster will move up a level next year? Then um, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Um, they certainly needed to reinforce up front, which they've done. Um, I don't know. Uh, we it, it remains to be seen. We we just don't know. We don't know. But but Jonathan says absolutely right. These top sides have the ability and the strength and depth to be able to to cope with various situations. And Ulster still haven't reached that point yet where they're able to cope, or able, for instance, to to come back from um, a six-day turnaround, go to Glasgow, the artificial surface, and produce a performance that was highly competitive. They they're not at that point yet. Mm-hmm. Like I think injuries are a big factor as well, and. The flip side of that coin is every side has injuries. But if you take players, you know, who on the bench could be, you know, a real Pro 14 quality or say a a European Cup quality starter for another team in the Champions Cup for Ulster at the minute. And, you know, that's what you sort of need. 
and there's definitely a few that were on the bench there and if you throw Will Addison uh, Louis Ludic back into the starting mix then you've certainly got more again um, I'm probably forgetting somebody else who was injured as well Hendy obviously um, you know so having those starters then takes having those starters missing hits your depth the guys that have been out for a long time but Michael mentions Eric O'Sullivan there and that's the perfect example for me of Eric O'Sullivan played however 70 something minutes against Leinster six days later is asked to go again against Glasgow and you see five scrum penalties like that's the worst the Ulster scrum has been since the Connacht game in October and Michael used the word fatigue and I'd go along with that 100% that's mm-hmm. that's to me how it looked it looked like the props were knackered and that's completely understandable but Ulster aren't in a position where they f- at the minute feel like they can go and win a game without Marty Moore or without Eric O'Sullivan so they're asked to go again next year we already know that you've got Jack McGrath coming in so you have Jack McGrath and Eric O'Sullivan if Eric O'Sullivan goes 60 minutes one week Jack McGrath can go 60 minutes the next week mm-hmm. and you have everybody fresh at this time of the year yeah well the this week's press conference hasn't happened yet it's about to in a couple of hours time so Jonathan you are planning to ask Dan McFarland about this bit inconsistency levels and uh, we'll drop in a little bit here if and when he does answer that question <laughs> mm. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully he will answer the question, and then we'll have it for you right now. <laughs> we, we, when we reviewed, we we didn't make um, excuses. Um, we reviewed uh, very hard on on that performance, um, but uh, it would be silly not to think that there was context um, related to the massive emotional and physical investment of the week before, um, like that. That, that the, the game in Dublin was had 47 minutes of ball in play time. Uh, there was only 460 tackles in that game, uh, so the, the the physical impact was was huge, and, and obviously the, the the mental impact was huge. Uh, I think from um, we we planned for that. Okay, so we, we, we didn't arrive in on on Monday and think, oh dear, what are we going to do now? We'd uh, you know we planned for for. Uh, for that situation, whether we got it totally right from, from a, or whether I got it totally right from a, um, a management and preparation for the following week, um, I don't know. But uh, if if I was doing it again, I would do it differently. When you, you say that you would do it differently, I mean, how difficult is it for a coach? I suppose when your team hits, uh, and I know he obviously didn't come on the right side of the result. When your team hits what looks to be such sort of Intense pitch of intensity one week, and then you don't get the same sort of intensity mm-hmm. the next week. How many, realistically, how many times a season do you think you can hit that, or how many well, times would it be? Well, I think yeah, it's good. It's a really good question. Um, I think uh, um, if you're if you're at a, a stage of your your growth or, or your your position as a team where you're used to playing massive games. Uh, in playoff situations, then your ability to uh, um, not have to peak, um, but well, to peak, but but the drop off from the peak either side of that isn't as big. So, you know, I think the emotional peak for us was was uh, it was probably more extensive than it would have been for Leinster. Like Leinster are always playing playoff games, you know, so they they're used to that kind of um, that kind of game. 
As regards specific players from last week, and obviously we had spoken last week about um, Jacob Stockdale probably wanting to go straight back in. He did go straight back in. Was there any signs of any sort of hangover from uh, what happened the week before, Michael? Um, not not really. Um, other than the fact that it's catching. <laughs> yes, other than the fact that uh, he was very close to the next blooper that happened because he gave the offload to Luke Marshall, who then managed to not get the ball down to Tommy Seymour. Um, no, he, he he looked okay. I mean, you think about memory. So yeah, he shifted the full back. Um, yeah, and he seemed to do okay there. Uh, once uh, I think Michael Lowry went off with another injury concern, who inter- interestingly wasn't mentioned in the injury update this week, which one assumes means well, I assume he's okay. He did all right. I mean, there was an awful lot of hype, obviously, about that, and he, he had to go out and play again to just to dispel any notion that perhaps. You know, this had really deeply affected him. Yeah. And I mean, he he did okay, and I, I think it's fair to say it looks like he's probably playing again this week, which is uh, understandable. And um, but uh, no, on this occasion he wasn't the one who who managed to to lose the ball over the line, and it happened again. And uh, no, he did fine. I thought that uh, I, I guess you'd agree, John. Then I mean, there was no oh, no, real, I thought, no real issues. Yeah, I thought he had, de- had a decent game. Yeah. Um, it was a good battle between him and. Um, Tommy Seymour at various points they both came out um, came out on top he couldn't have done anything with the try you know he was left two on one with Stuart Hogg and Tommy Seymour um, and again his, his taking of high balls was also in yep. evidence too which was in fairness absolutely first class at the Aviva so mm-hmm. uh, no I yeah. don't think there's any real issue there at all well that issue will almost be put to bed not quite because he's facing the media again in a couple of hours time so um, we, I think it's probably safe to assume he's going to be asked about uh, what happened at the Viva Stadium first time he's spoken publicly other than on social media since that day so assuming he is asked and does talk about it here's what he has to say Yeah look it was obviously an incredibly tough kind of couple of days for me after that game and and it's it's a mistake that you know I'll probably play over in my head thousands thousands of times uh, the, the amount of people that came down to watch us the amount of people that paid that, that money to come down and watch us and, and for them not to come away celebrating the victory because I you know dropped the ball over the line I just felt that I had to apologize and and you know I had to kind of I had to you know accept that it was my fault and if you didn't hear any audio there it's because he didn't actually speak about it but hopefully he did um, what else have we got then? Tommy Seymour, of course, you mentioned him, former Ulster player. Um, good performance. Finest. Downhouse, of course. <laughs> Sorry, apologies. Um, yeah, well, you know, he scored one try and prevented two others, so he had a fairly impactful return to uh, to the side. And then came and Johnny Gray, that was their first time playing uh, certainly a Pro 14 game for uh, Glasgow in a good long while, and they were both made a big difference to Johnny Gray, especially at the... At the line-out, he was a huge reason, I think, for Ulster's struggles that way. He's such a good uh, defensive line-out operator. And, you know, we talked about the margins of defeat. If you take Tommy Seymour, it's two try-saving tackles out of that, then Ulster, for a good portion of that game, are on the cusp of not just one bonus point in defeat, but two bonus points, because, you know... If that had just grinded the ball, if Tommy Seymour hadn't intervened, they would have been on three tries... And you throw in that mall try, you know, that's you, you haven't scored four tries and within seven. Yeah. So, you know, he did make a huge, huge difference. Um, unfortunately so for uh, Ulster's points total, given how close the, the Pro 14 table is, those two points would have been very beneficial. Well, if you look at the permutations... Oh, well, let's do that later. <laughs> You'll melt my head if you do it now. I have a strict 
say. Okay, I'll, 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 not, I'll not mess with you, Ronan, order, but we'll think Thank about you. those two points later when we talk about <laughs> um, Rob Little's first start of the season uh, came through unscathed. How did he, how did he perform? Um, he, he, I didn't think he, he played terribly well, really, to be honest with you. He, um, I think in the lead-up, I think it was to Hastings' try, seems to take out Stuart Hogg, uh, which could have been a yellow card. Um, I think there were there were other issues as well. I think he was ball watching possibly for Seymour's, or he got distracted anyway defensively for Tommy Seymour's try. And then at the end, well, could you fault him? It's look, he he got the ball fair, fairness to him, and he did what he he's there to do, which is run. And there's no question he can run. And he just some people think the ball touched the line. Others think that you know the TMO was right. I mean, the TMO could have just given it less face. It wasn't make any blooming difference, was it? The guy just ran virtually the length of the pitch, and he just couldn't get there and it did make you kind of think that perhaps you know if whoever had the ball was just that wee bit taller might have had that reach mm-hmm. I don't know look it was it was a fantastic effort to get down there and it was just so so cruel that he was denied the try but overall I didn't think he really had a particularly great game at Scottsdale um, I'm not sure obviously if he'd be involved this week or not but it'll be interesting to see um, how he goes mm-hmm. he is a try scorer primarily that's what he's there for so it'll be particularly uh, painful for him that he wasn't just able to finish that off but again it was a just one of those tremendous tackles mm-hmm. that uh, Tommy Seymour produced just didn't give up I mean the try didn't matter you know they'd won the game and yet he was able to stop him and then Rob just couldn't get that mm-hmm. ball over the line so I really I really felt for him yeah. it was just it was emblematic of basically Ulster's night even with that you know chance there to get something right near the end uh, they mm-hmm. just couldn't quite get that over the line. Yeah, sum the whole thing up. It's the difference between having a positive and negative points difference. So it matters hugely if you're into that kind of thing. That's very true. Yeah. Minus six at the Minus moment. Six. Yeah. yeah, which isn't doing them any favors. Again, we're straying into permutations territory. Mm-hmm. I don't. Fine. I don't think it'll come down. Well, well let's be. let's never say never. Sorry, that that try won't affect it because if no. it comes down to points difference, Ulster snooker <laughs> yeah, regardless yeah, was what yeah. I was trying to say. It needed another six tries. <laughs> well, let's actually move on to the permutations then officially saying we're uh, straying into that territory. So Ulster, I should have brought the table up before then. Jonathan, where exactly does this leave Ulster? Um, sort of in a position that we thought they were going to be in a couple of weeks ago when we first started talking about this of so much rests on this game against Edinburgh because you know if you're looking at it you're three points ahead of Edinburgh and as we said you could have those extra two bonus points which would have put you five ahead which would have really changed the picture but um, the difference between how things could look on Friday night based on whether Ulster win or lose is obviously massive and at the minute Ulster are projected to be in the playoffs and if they lose you're depending on how things go in the monster Benetton game beforehand, all of a sudden it's an uphill task to get into the playoffs. So like this is essentially the defining day so far of Ulster's Pro 14 season. It's the biggest game, obviously, of uh, of the league season, I suppose, then. Um, I did a little permutations article yesterday. I think I overcomplicated when I was looking at it. It literally took me like two hours, but I think I'd written out like every single detail and then just simplified it down again. And but I, I mean, probably should have like, just... If you hadn't, then somebody would have asked the question of what happens exactly. if exactly. X, Y, Z happens. So, the, Plus, you love permutations anyway. I absolutely love them. So, the, the key points that I took, obviously, as everybody probably knows, a win on Friday seals a playoff place. Ulster can even get second, like secure second on Friday night final game 
meaningless for Ulster if they win and Benetton mm-hmm. get no more than a point. But if Ulster are beaten, I reckon they're going to need to take at least a point from Leinster because, now this is where I was maybe going out in a limb a little bit, would you agree that we can almost be assured that Benetton are going to beat Zebra in the last the last game of the season? That's, that's five right? points. That looks like a gimme, yeah. Five points? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I haven't even gone so. that far. So one win then could also be enough. If you want to look into that, just look at the article. I'm not going through it all now. It's a nightmare. But this really is... Uh, John, let's go to your point that you made earlier. Why this the league, as the league looks after this weekend, is likely how the league's going to look at the end of the last weekend. Because assuming that Glasgow have nothing to play for, um, which could still go either way depending on the results this week. Obviously they play Leinster and Munster play Benetton. But if Benetton were to win this week and Glasgow were to win this week, then the top two in Conference A are sorted. If um, Ulster, well, regardless of what Ulster do, they're playing Leinster, who have nothing to play for. Benetton are playing Zebra, who they'll beat. And if Glasgow have nothing to play for, then you would presume that Edinburgh are going to beat them as well. Obviously, all these um, cross-country rivalries, um, it's tied up in the unions as well. You know, mm-hmm. The IRFU obviously want as many Irish teams in the playoffs as possible. The SRU want both their teams in the playoffs. Um, it's great for Italian rugby if Benetton get in the playoffs. And when you factor all this in and the various motivations that teams are going to have, there's a very real chance that all three teams are still involved in the mix. And I'm discounting Scarlets from this at the minute because I just think it's so unlikely now that they're going to force their way into the playoffs. Yeah, like they're not. They're, what, nine points behind yeah. Ulster at this stage? And, like, Sc- Scarlets, I think, will get ten points in the last two games. But, you know, somebody's going to get a point somewhere. Yeah. Um. So, of those three teams, I think they're all going to win next weekend because... They're all going to be playing teams that, you know, they're going to be playing fellow uh, fellow countrymen lacking motivation, shall we say. Yeah. <clears throat> do, why do they put the these sort of local derby matches at the end of the season then? That's well, theoretically so that you end up with the derbies, which should be your most thrilling fixtures, as the conclu- conclusion to the league. But it's one of these things that, as we've seen with the festive fixtures, what you actually end up getting is two teams that frequently are mismatched in terms of personnel that they have like you've seen how good an interpro can be when you have two sides going hammer and tong full strength 15s are as close to them as possible whereas what we end up with in the pro 14 too often is derbies where one team's targeting the game and one team's not and of course, I think Leinster will be coming into this last game of their Champions Cup semi-final as well, yeah. which wouldn't augur well if you're, and I mean, they've even less motivation. Obviously, they'd, they'd yeah. be resting players, presumably, because players will have played the previous week and they've no need to win this last game against Ulster anyway. We've seen that happen before. Mm-hmm. We've seen it happen before they've finished a regular season. Um, Ulster have had to go to play Leinster in a mm-hmm. knockout game and, well, you know what happens then. <laughs> yeah, it was both two and three years ago, wasn't it? That Ulster finished so. with Leinster and beat them handily, but like Leinster didn't have just didn't, any didn't have any particularly. They didn't send up a strong team. They didn't have any great motivation, and they were quite happy to, you know, yeah. not happy to lose. Let's not go that far, but they weren't in any way just dis- terribly disgruntled no. to so be defeated. They we certainly say. weren't happy because do you remember Jack Conan came in and, and like gave <laughs> a real cutting post-match interview? It was like that's not good enough for Leinster. We need to be better than that. Whether we've got something to play for or not. But um, 
yes, I think Ulster have probably got relatively lucky with the teams that Leinster have sent up of late, and I would expect that to continue. But I would expect, as I say, even though Glasgow are at home, I would expect all three teams to win if the teams that they're playing are either thinking about their holidays or thinking about bigger games to come. So how it looks on Saturday afternoon, uh, sorry, not even Saturday afternoon, because it's better than Munster's 6 o'clock kickoff yeah. on Friday. So how it looks on Friday night, come about 11 o'clock, is how I would expect the table to look mm-hmm. at the end of the season. So if Ulster do then beat Leinster in the last game, we had said 0.5 in the permutations article one win could be enough but if Ulster lose to Edinburgh that's still if Ulster lose to Edinburgh and then beat Leinster that still requires Benetton to slip up in either of their final two home games so they're not going to slip up against Edinburgh so if Ulster if Ulster lose on Friday night that monster against Benetton game basically what we're saying will decide whether or not Ulster get a and Ulster get a playoff Benetton a good home record I think um as well yeah. so whereas in times past you would have gone that's an easy one for Munster you're not saying that now mm-hmm. and Munster have a Champions Cup yes. final against Saracens mm-hmm. so what would you expect from that game I if, you're, if you're a betting man now Benetton are one point favourites I would say mm-hmm. Benetton should win that game um, I think they probably will win that game they should have actually beaten Leinster last week and that was mm-hmm. the RDS yeah. hello Ulster <laughs> you know, have you taken note they should have won that game I know it's very similar <laughs> but they were in a brilliant position to do it yeah but um, I would fancy them at home, and obviously five against Zebra. So though I wouldn't expect them to beat Munster with a bonus point, I would expect them to get four. So there's, there, let's say there's nine. There are nine points, Benetton. Well, that puts mm-hmm. Benetton on sixty-one, and yeah. Ulster on fifty-four. Apparently, so so if all those predictions are correct, that means Ulster can't afford to get beaten this weekend, or else they're not getting a playoff. No, yeah. Ulster would need to win both games yeah. then, because yeah. Benetton would then pip them on games one, and mm-hmm. even if the games one were level, as we've said before, Ulster yeah. aren't tying anybody on points difference. So, yeah. so Ulster need to win. So yeah. when, whenever we've now to boiled come, all to this down, second. well, even to get a playoff, because if if they, well, maybe they need to avoid defeat because if they're beaten, Edinburgh are currently three points behind Ulster this weekend. Or before this weekend. So if Edinburgh now beat Ulster on Friday night, they go ahead of them on the table. And if we're saying that both teams are going to win the last weekend. Well, that would put Edinburgh... So say Edinburgh get two wins without bonus points, that would put them on 59. So Ulster would need five. So you could get a losing bonus point on Friday and then get five against Leinster and still go through. But that's assuming Edinburgh... Okay, so it's a bit more complicated than that. But that's assuming Edinburgh... Would you not fancy Edinburgh just as much to get a bonus point in the last weekend as you would Ulster, given the... The reasons we discussed earlier. Yeah, the Glasgow are the most likely side to have something to play for as well. Yeah, okay. likely, and it's in Scotstown. Okay, know, yeah, which is yeah, a that's factor, fair. big factor. Okay, so we can't quite say Ulster need a win, but you have to take something from the game. Yeah, which and even as even we've if they said in previous away games, you know, we talked about RDS, Parky Scarlets, Thomond, Scotstown, and the margins of defeat. You have to take something from this game, even if it's a point, and making sure Edinburgh only get four points. But that's not something that Ulster have done in Pro 14 away games so far this season against the quality opposition bar Treviso. Mm-hmm. Right. Just just feel like I need to give myself and everybody else a couple of just a, a few seconds. Just let this all sink in. It'll be a lot. <laughs> it will be a lot clearer on Friday. Yeah, on Friday night it will be. But yeah, regardless, this game's massive for Ulster. 
and a win can take this all off the table. Oh, it's huge because you're t- if you win, you're basically the favourites to be hosting a playoff game at Kingspan, which, if I'm right in saying so, hasn't happened since 2013. Scarlet's semi-final. Uh, yeah. I'm so sure. that's a long time. When they had their home final. Yeah. Uh, the RDS, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The was getting torn down. <laughs> their home away final. As it was yeah. then. <laughs> she asked some of the players and that's got about that <laughs> yeah they'll, they'll go to their graves still fulminating about it <laughs> so what can we expect then ahead of such a big game what uh, do we expect team wise for Ulster obviously we'll have no Will Addison Booze we should uh, yes, just go into that now yeah. Will Addison's no Will out Addison. for the season which we now know how big a blue is that given because we, we hadn't been dead sure if or when he was coming back before yesterday's well it's another it's another outside centre with a season-ending injury. And the way it's gone for Will Addison, probably not dissimilar to the way it's gone for Craig Gilroy with a back injury where it's just, you know, I think if you had it told anyone, even Will Addison himself in January, that he just played his last game of the season with the injury that he had, I don't think yeah. he would have believed you or anybody else. But it's just the way it's dragged out and they're so complicated and obviously surgery has been the the end result in this stage but it's it's devastating for him because I think if he had have been fit he would have played a part in the Six Nations and I think with his versatility for a World Cup that's in Japan I think he would have went to the World Cup and I think it's now going to be very difficult for him because he's going to have to leapfrog people without really playing any competitive mm-hmm. rugby mm-hmm. yeah yeah. We, we obviously don't know the severity of the injury but mm-hmm. any sort of back surgery is serious stuff yeah. as opposed to getting through it with physio and other types mm-hmm. of rehabbing. And we don't know, again, exactly when he'll be back or able to you know, train properly, even play properly. Mm-hmm. And as Jonathan rightly says, we've got our first warm-up game in about August the 10th. Mm-hmm. And you need, to be, you need to be available, you need to be seen, and you also really need to be hitting the ground big style. I mean, it didn't do... I mean, remember Andrew Trimble last well, that's, time did yeah, that's so exactly well the point I was in the make, warm-up yeah. games? But he still didn't make the squad. So whether or not this has uh, cost will a place in the World Cup squad will remain to be seen. You basically need to be playing, yeah. and he and he isn't. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, the other thing is that maybe they're doing this because they're thinking about this right now. Let's have yeah. him right for the World Cup. We don't know, but I would imagine if, if you're going to be operated on your back, there are more, far more wider considerations at play mm-hmm. as opposed to will we have him right for the autumn. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ulster have just said that uh, it is hoped he will return to full fitness for pre-season. So as we all hope that is the case and he is uh, fit in time for the World Cup because he was so good for that first half of the season, wasn't he? Yeah, and I think you know when he arrived, that was sort of... When he started so well and everyone was saying, like, how did this guy not play for England when he was in England for so long? And it, it was really every time he went on a run of form like that, he was interrupted by injuries. I think he had a few hamstring injuries as well, as well as the back that sort of derailed him a bit. And it, it has been such a strange season for him because he came in with, like, too much expectations, exceeded everybody's expectations. So, you know, he was having an unbelievable season up until January. And then to for that to have been the end of the season, especially the way it's gone, with it just being sort of not able to confirm that he was out for the season for months and months, it's been such a frustrating second half. So you'd wonder how he himself looks back on his first season in Irish rugby. It reminds me a bit of when Jared Payne arrived as well. And not 
widely heralded or widely known, but mm-hmm. you could see he was quality, but mm-hmm. he, he broke down very, very quickly. And I mean, again, Will Addison is such an important part to play in the squad. If it only they could have kept him fit, mm-hmm. he just made such a difference whether he played centre or whether he played fullback. But to not be able to call upon him or call upon him so little during this first season here has been absolutely devastating, not only for him, but it's been very, very difficult as well for Ulster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't believe it was long ago. It was January since he last played. It doesn't seem like that long. Yeah, I think it was the Welford Road. The Leicester game, mm-hmm. Welford Road. Yeah. Well, I think he did the full 80 in Welford Road. Mm-hmm. And that was the last we saw of him. Yeah. Last anybody's seen of him on the, on the pitch. So the team this weekend, then what else do we... Well, I know, as we've said before, we're recording before the, the <laughs> press conference, but yeah. the, well, what, what do we know? Going off the injury update, which doesn't feature Mike Laurie or Balakun or indeed Ian Anderson, um, let's assume that Mike Lowry's fit to start mm-hmm. and you've probably got Stockdale I think you probably bring Balakun back in p- quite possibly um, 13 <laughs> well 12 and 13 an adventure <laughs> because like Darren Cave took another seemed to take another mm. knock in that Glasgow game again not on the injury report um, so you have to have KV and Luke Marshall, and if KV's not fit, I don't really know what you do. Um, you put him out there if you can. You patch, <laughs> yeah, him, up, just, you patch yeah. him up and you say, "Come on, we're nearly." Well, there. like he's got that record to get now, well, so we, we haven't <laughs> yeah. we haven't spoken about his retirement. Yeah. I'm sure we'll get to it at some stage, whether today or in the future. But um, he needs to play every game to get this record. So. And they need actually yeah. a second. Yeah, they need a semi-final, did it? A second knockout game, I think. Yeah. So that, yeah, but um, I'd back them to win. Against either Connor or Cardiff at home. Well, only if, yeah. If, if sorry, if so, if they yes. are we're, home. We're getting into permutations. Again. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> could, could be, uh, yeah, another trip to Scotland or another trip to Thilman Park would be a would be a different matter. But yeah, absolutely. And then in terms of backup, they're really um, struggling. You're into possibly Stuart, Stuart Moore, Moore, yeah, academy player. Yeah. Um, yeah. Has he played this season? He um, played in the preseason, and he played in. The Car Cup. He's played occasionally for Malone. Um, he's quality, quality player. Um, but he he hasn't got had an awful lot of rugby under his belt this year. And obviously, he would have played in the second game in that Car Cup, but had to be flown back. Essentially, as it turned out to be, twenty fourth man for um, the Champions Cup quarter final. So he's not played an awful lot of rugby at any level, really. Obviously, being whatever he is nineteen. Um, but as good as he is. It's not a game where you want somebody making their debut either. Yeah, so at this stage we're probably expecting Darren Cave to, to play then, barring anything major. And well, again, this could like all be out of date by the time people hear it. Well, absolutely, but you know, he's not, he's not on the injury report, which yeah. we should be led to believe. But now there's Michael Lowry who left the action yeah. with his uh, yeah. boot taped up, so we so don't... Time will tell. Um, Stuart McCloskey then was the only other name mentioned on that injury update who is... Following return to play protocols. So. Yes, sorry again. That's assuming that Stuart McCluskey doesn't play, which he might do. It's like you you can never second guess these return to play mm-hmm. protocols either. No, yeah, this is it. Okay, so what? Uh, how optimistic are you all feeling? About what? Friday night. No, it's life in general. Life, life, yeah. <laughs> Springtime. You know, the suns came out. <laughs> well, I think that's it. Does that say it all? I it, it I think it very much depends. Funnily enough, on what sort of team Ulster are able to put out, I think they they absolutely must try and get Ian Henderson out. They have to get Ian Henderson out to perhaps just to bring that greater control. Perhaps the line out now. Obviously, Johnny Gray's not there, and maybe Edinburgh won't just quite 
be on it in the way that Glasgow were in terms of disrupting, but just to have him there, to have his leadership, to have his ability, at, at whether it's it, it, tackling or you know carrying, you know calling lineouts, winning lineouts, just I think they've got to have him there. Uh, there's no doubt mm-hmm. about that. I think if they have him there, then I think that should lift things um, mm-hmm. enough. If they don't, um, I'd be very worried. But even with him, I'm, I would be still quite worried about it because. Um, you know the pressure's on them they know that uh, another away game against a side I think it's fair to say in reasonably decent form who will fancy this um, yeah I'm not sure Ulster are robust enough to deal with that mm-hmm. but obviously I'm, I'm very much hoping I'm wrong and that um, quite a few key players really raise their games in uh, for this occasion hoping that they're that all the others are fit Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you look at what Edinburgh did at the weekend against Scarlets, coming from twelve mm. 0 down to win twenty twelve at Parky Scarlets. As we said, Scarlets are off colour, but it's still a very difficult place to go and win. But you look at that pack that they had out against um, Scarlets, right? So you could um, Showman, McAnally, WP Nell, Ben Toulis, Grant Gilchrist, John Bargley, Hamish Watson, and Billy Matter. Like pick out a weak point in that pack. That's a serious, serious unit that they've got there. And also the back row battle. You yeah. already say Edinburgh have won that with uh, John Barkley and Hamish Watson there. And we were talking about scrum issues as well. WP now? Yeah. Help. You know, they, they, they have more than enough to cause Ulster extreme discomfort in those areas, the key areas, especially the breakdown where Ulster, I think it's fair to say, have been struggling a lot. And they could really, really attack Ulster scrum, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's a bit worrying, <laughs> should yeah. we say? Because that's something that we didn't talk about from the Edinburgh game. Sorry, um, sorry, the Glasgow game. Um, Ulster's work at the Rock was fairly untidy, both with and without the ball. That was something that Dan McFarland highlighted after the Leinster game that didn't go well. And fair enough, you're not playing on on an artificial surface, so that slows things up a little bit. Murrayfield compared to Scotston. But you've got John Barkley, he's back in after, I don't know, 10 months out. Um, Billy Matta, pro- probably the Pro 14's player of the year. And Hamish Watson, who we all saw during the Six Nations when he came off the bench in that Wales game, has taken his game, certainly carrying-wise, to a different level. But Ulster have had problems with him for years, going like 2015, I think I remember him getting man of the match against Ulster. So that back row battle, them three against probably Marcel, Sean Reedy and... Jordy, that's huge for Ulster because Ulster need to get back to a place where they're slowing up the opposition ball. I don't think that Edinburgh are have quite the same cutting edge as Glasgow do behind the pack, but they're getting an awful lot better in that regard as the Richard Cockerell era progresses. But they've got enough dangerous players that if you give them the quick ball that Glasgow had... It's game over. Mm-hmm. Remember, the Richard Cockrell is a big factor here, which also he has to be borne in mind. They'll play for him. Yeah. There's no question of that, which they, they have been doing. His, his impact has been seen this season. Mm-hmm. Um, this is perfect for him. This is a game. We, like, we've got to win this game, guys. We've got to win this game. It's our last, you know, last home game of regulation season. And yeah. you're, going to, you're just going to win it. Now, unless they have injury issues, but I'm not aware they do, um, they look especially up front very very strong and that would be a, a big worry that's why Ulster must get handy out there um, so we shall see if that is the case we don't know why he at this stage he didn't play against Glasgow but um, 
hopefully he will be fit um, for, mm. for Friday night. And as important as a game it is for Ulster, it's arguably more important for Edinburgh because if they yeah. lose, there's every likelihood that their season's over. Uh, yeah. Um, and as I was saying, I, I think it's fair to say Richard Cockrell will have them up for this. They'll also yeah. be greatly encouraged by, admittedly, a, a pretty terrible start at the Scarlets, but they did come back. Mm-hmm. And as already been mentioned, leaving aside the fact the Scarlets are... I don't know what's been going on there, really. Yeah. But they still managed to come back and they still got away with with, with the win. Mm-hmm. Um, Ulster did win uh, just over a year ago at Murrayfield. So there's, there's that, that was hope from. really one of Ulster's more impressive wins of the season last year. Um, Tom O'Toole's debut as well, if I remember correctly. Get him in. Good omen. Well, they'd probably be on the bench, I would think. Well, there we are. Get him on early. Um... Jack McGrath, uh, we haven't discussed yet, signed for Ulster finally, uh, confirmed. Um, good news, obviously. Like oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you're talking about... Probably discussed it before, but... Uh, yeah, I think, we, I think we talked about it um, before when it was first first rumoured to be happening. And um, you're talking about a 29-year-old Tess Lyon, you know, came off the bench three times against the All Blacks as recently as 2017. Struggled probably with his hip injury since. Um, has been trying to play through that injury. Um, not particularly successfully, obviously. He lost his place at Leinster, um, which caused him to lose his place at Ar- with Ireland. Sorry, lost his place in the Leinster 23, which caused him to lose his place in the Ireland 23. So, But I thought it was fairly pointed that he said, you know, in his statement that he released to Ulster, it mentioned the fact that he was now injury-free almost Again, citing that as a reminder that his loss of form isn't quite as simple as somebody that's um, just fallen out of favour. You know, he's tried to play through that injury, and it's difficult when you're doing that, especially for a, especially for a proper the hip injury, obviously. But I suppose just the thing that I wanted to touch on, maybe more than how good a signing it it is, is. Whenever we talked about it, I think a lot of people mentioned Eric O'Sullivan and whether this is going Mm. to hamper his development. But you look at the dynamic that McGrath and Healy had, regardless of who was starting for various points at Ireland or Leinster over the last four years. Like In an ideal world, one of your props plays 50 minutes and the other one plays 30 minutes, or even 45 and 35, and then it can be reduced... um, the next, the next week, and Michael touched on it earlier. Like, Erica Sullivan has been probably forced into playing too many minutes. Like, we know he's got a great engine and he's healed for this, but you probably don't want him playing seventy minutes mm-hmm. every game. Yeah. So, if they can strike up that dynamic, where, like, think about it, if you're an opposition tight head and you've had to deal with um, Jack McGrath for fifty-five minutes, and then. You look over to the sideline, and mm. you've got a fresh Eric O'Sullivan coming on for the last thirty-five, and yeah. like Eric O'Sullivan probably doesn't have this fearsome reputation or whatever, but people around the league will have taken note of the impact that he's made this year. Fifty-five and thirty-five is actually ninety, but um, re- yeah, regardless, that's, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that's worth bearing in mind is that uh, when Eric does say "come on" in situations like that, he very much want to make an impression because uh, he'll want to make sure that he becomes. You know the 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 starter, the mm-hmm. starter. I mean, yeah. he obviously is very much the starter now, and he's not entirely, I think, thrilled at the prospect of sharing this role now or possibly Naturally. taking a step back. So he'll want to make sure he puts down a marker. Yeah. So he's he's not coming on going, oh, God, you know, 
I mean, I'm fed up with this sort of thing with Jack McGrath. <laughs> he's coming on and he's gonna, you know, yeah. he's gonna make a big, big hit when he comes on. Also, as Johnny says, they'll rotate them anyway. I so uh, I, I think it's to, for Ulster to have a, a fearsome, potentially fearsome and powerful front five is is an absolute feather in the cap. It's something mm-hmm. they absolutely have to address and hasn't been the case now for a while. Mm-hmm. So potentially a massive step in terms of those levels we were, we were talking about earlier. Absolutely. Um, Darren Keeve then has announced his retirement obviously after the game in Aviva Stadium. Everybody was calling for that one more year. Were you surprised that uh, that he's calling it a day? Um, yes and no. That's what a great answer that is. It's not really any answer at all. <laughs> it's a, it's a, um, it's a he, real, real Irish answer. Though. Yeah, he, was, he, he, he hadn't necessarily been playing particularly great stuff up to that point and he hadn't really been involved that much in and out and so on and so forth and when he had the one year contract extension last year that's usually a a sign Um, but he played so well at the Aviva um, that in that regard I thought maybe you know that might help him just to have him around Um, I think we talked about this before as well with say the likes of Rory Best and Ian Henderson away a lot you know suddenly where, where are all the experienced heads there and the very few is experienced as Darren Cave and you know obviously he's getting close to Tribby's record as well and you know he, he, he's done it all and seen it all so in that regard I thought maybe maybe but clearly the decision had presumably already been made and um, I can see their justification for it in the sense that he might be a block to younger players coming through you know um, but um, for him I think he could have gone on and obviously the other thing he's not interested or hasn't been offered any contract anywhere else I know his, I think his wife's about to give birth over the summer he's decided that for whatever reason yeah. he's not going anywhere else I think knowing him a bit as I do that I will have disappointed him I think he would have wanted to maybe go on but equally you know you can look at it in, the, in another way that you know he's going out um, without having shipped an injury or having to go early he's going out and by the looks of it he's going to go out playing Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's also due to injuries from for you know from other players otherwise he might not have been seen um so in that regard i think but for the injuries with other players we wouldn't have seen darren cave and none of us would be having this conversation we'd be sort of going yeah well yeah well you know he's hardly been involved and yes see what you mean but age profile definitely could have gone on and certainly if if he was able to replicate the form he showed at the aviva or his defensive effort was, was, was outstanding, then why wouldn't you have somebody around like that yeah. to call upon? Yeah. And there's no signs of him going into coaching side of the game or anything like that now? At this stage, I don't think uh, it's clear what, what he's going to do, mm-hmm. really. Uh, he has quite a number of interests and he's got a media profile already, so yeah. he might well he's good, be... Good, he's good very good. commentating yeah. on stuff. He's doing his yeah. cup. Yeah, he's I mean, up. he's good. Yeah. You see him popping up on... Plenty of uh, punditry duties as well throughout the season. He's very good at that. He's obviously got his um, his coffee shop as well. So multi talented man, no doubt, no doubt. Unlike ourselves, um, Mark Dempsey then asks, uh, "What are your thoughts on the possible outlawing of jackaling, and do you think that this would make rugby any safer?" I just think you would lose so much of the game, or so much of what makes the game. Unique, like you think about the players that, um, you know, the likes of Peter O'Mahony and David Pocock and guys like that who are able to produce like 
game turning shifts in momentum through a big breakdown turnover and that's something that I think is one integral to the game but two also something that makes the game different from rugby league or another thing that makes the game different from rugby league and I just I think to lose it you would lose an awful lot of um, the appeal of the game I think personally what do you think, Michael? Um, I think, I think it's it's dangerous. That's what would worry me most about it, and mm-hmm. that people are shipping very serious injuries from continuing the practice of getting over the ball and exposing themselves to getting hit illegally or legally, neck injuries, leg injuries, you know, whatever. Um, I think obviously we've seen players um, getting destroyed by exposing themselves in this way. Um, I think that it's um, the nature of the game now, the the injuries that are being shipped, I think you've got to look at it again and and decide what is and what isn't acceptable. I would say, and I don't have any figures in front of me, that um, a a very large number of players are getting badly beaten up from putting themselves in this position, whether they're being rucked out of it, legs being raised, whatever, or hit hard. Remember, you're basically over the ball and you're exposing your neck and mm-hmm. back to somebody coming in full pelt. Um, your job is to stay on your feet and hold on to the ball. So the referee goes, well, you know, that's you know, the, 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 you, you've won a penalty there because the opposition can't obviously get rid, get rid of this ball or do anything with it. But I, I just think that taking that on board with Jonathan says that it is now something that I think has to be looked at in regards mm-hmm. to what player welfare and, and, yeah. and what they're they're exposing themselves to. Which I suppose is, is paramount at the end of the day. South Wales URSC, our friends, uh, and Stephen McCormick both asked our friend as well, uh, uh, both asked about sports psychologists um, after the narrow defeat in Dublin and the comprehensive defeat in Glasgow. Do you also rugby use sports psychologists? There is I, th- I think going back to sort of pre two thousand and nine with um, Enda McNulty, you know, you saw prior to the Grand Slam how much talking or how much talk there was about the use of a sports psychologist throughout that campaign and stuff. So this is something that's been in rugby for a good while now, and there are definitely facilities made available to players at provincial level, whether they um, or how much how much they avail of them, I think, is up to them. Um, you've obviously seen people like John Cooney be quite open about his use of not just sports psychologists but also counsellors and mind training and um, visualisation techniques and things like that but I think it's an individual thing but I think an awful lot of this probably comes back to the idea that Ulster somehow I suppose lacking in steel or backbone or mental resolve or something which I'm not sure if you actually look at the stats of that, that it really bears itself out. Yeah. Like, yes, we mentioned these four away games in the Pro 14 that everyone, I suppose, cites as an example of also don't have the mentality to go to these places and win. But if you take other games throughout the season, like where in the 75th minute or beyond or whatever, you know, in the final minutes of games where Ulster have shown that mental resolve to keep on mm-hmm. fight, fighting for every inch, as Dan McFarland would say, <laughs> then, you know, you've essentially from either losing positions or in terms of rescuing bonus points or whatever, Ulster about nine points in the last couple of minutes of games 
improved their standing by nine mm-hmm. points. That's the difference between being second and being fifth. And does that take into account any points that Ulster have lost in these yeah. last five minutes? Okay, yeah. they haven't lost points later on. Yeah, I was going to say, I can't think of any. Yeah, have they let Munster get a bonus point later on in the win in Kingspan. It doesn't really them affect them. And then the same token, they denied Ospreys a bonus point recently, later on with a kick, but that doesn't affect them. Yeah. So you, you, Scarlet's, um, Edinburgh, Cheetahs, Connacht at home, and Bannon. The Bannon, while only getting them a point, also denied Benetton two more points themselves, so that's probably effectively worth three points. Yeah, so I mean that's a hugely point. telling final minute of the season with that penalty try, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but you talk about those nine points, like that would put Ulster where Scarlets are nine. That's the difference, yeah. you know, from potentially hosting a quarter final all the way down to Having potentially to playing uh, in the Challenge Cup next year. And those are all from points that have been earned in the last couple of minutes. That, to me, is a sign of a strong mentality. Mm-hmm. As much as not being able to back up. Um, I think somebody made the point in the question that you can't, or you sh- shouldn't expect them to replicate the emotional intensity of a quarterfinal to a Pro 14 games in six days' time. And that's, that's right. You know, it's not Ulster mentally weak because they can't do... That twice in six days. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would be natural to bring that level of intensity to every Pro Fourteen game every week of the season, season on season on season. Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm just thinking from our our questions. There was no question this week from Donald, and I'm concerned now that he's been hurt by last week's discussion that Ian Frizzell was the new Donald. <laughs> he mentioned it in social media. So, I so he's just. Um, I think we need to apologise. Yeah. And ask him to come back for for next week. Yeah. I don't know if I'll be here next week. Let's not do this now. Let's no, but just, just saying. All right, there we are. Just let, letting you know now while I remember, while, <laughs> while we're recording, that I'm on holidays next week. So. Enjoy. Um, one last uh, listener question then. Kenny Gadd asks, which players do you think will be released at the end of the season? Kenny feels that it's a pretty small squad, so can't see any more departures, and that's probably accurate. Yeah, because like seven players have either been released or um, retired throughout the season mm-hmm. from the squad that was there originally, and they've largely been replaced from within with academy players. So, be an interesting thing to look at actually of just how many. I know we did it earlier in the season, but just how many senior players Ulster have used in comparison to other teams this year, because the senior squad. Um, without it being supplemented by academy players that have played and development players that have played, is very small at the minute, which is something that I think Brian Cunningham said that they were going to look at doing because, and I think, again, Eric O'Sullivan's the perfect example of this. Like You've seen the benefit of trusting Eric O'Sullivan with minutes rather than giving them to somebody just because they're on a senior contract or just because they're making a lot of money or just because they're an import or whatever, you know? So, I think with those seven players, add Darren Cave into that, that's eight. Um, Ian Nagel, I suppose, um, we don't know for certain whether he's going to stay. Certainly, there's indications that there's talks about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everyone else is accounted for for next year. Of the senior players? Of the senior players, yeah. yeah. Well, Rory Best as well, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, that could be... You know, where you normally have clear outs throughout the summer, 
there could be nine players who started pre-season this season not in pre-season next season which is probably par for the course it's just we've seen this unprecedented <laughs> um cull if you like of players throughout the season yeah now, the other interesting uh revelation from our listener questions this week was the pronunciation of the word shock <laughs> bizarrely which uh johnny Petrie got himself involved in mm. um it turns out the Scots pronounce the word shuck, which you city folk may not be over <laughs> with, but just means sort of a little ditch sometimes yeah. filled with water. Yeah. Um, so it turns out the Scots pronounce it shuck. Okay. But it's definitely shuck. I think if it's... Johnny yeah. going to be in Ulster, he needs to... <laughs> he needs to adapt to <laughs> These are the, the key issues he's going to have to address. Well, naturally. This is how we're going to pitch to get him on the podcast. Come on and come on and discuss your pronunci- your pronunciation of shuck or shuk or absolutely ver- various other ch words that we can think. of. We just call that episode "All Shook Up." <laughs> I mean, we've oh, already we've already got the title and the premise. Come which on, you, John. We just don't have the guest. You may have noticed we're killing time because Michael has had to leave the room and we need we need him back for the club roundup. So we'll be back with you when Michael returns. On to the club saying, Michael has returned. The font of club knowledge. Careful. Michael, one, the, the 1B situation at the minute, I suppose. Let's start with that. Ball and a hinge, uh, top of the table, looking good. What are we looking yeah. out for this weekend? Thankfully, that's simple uh, in the sense... <laughs> yeah. Well, when, you know, let, let, everything's relative. It's simple in the sense that if Ball and Hinch win um, on Saturday, um, they host St Mary's, uh, and they're at home, Ballymacarn Park. They'll win the Division 1B title, and they'll gain automatic promotion to Division 1A. Where they, so it'd be brilliant for Ulster. It'd be brilliant for Ulster Rugby. They have been in 1A before. Um, I think they were up, oh, I think it was third. They, they came down in 15, season 15 16. They came down, I think, in 2016 after about three seasons of not entirely glorious uh, activity in 1A. It was very difficult for them. But they're hungry to get back and uh, they just need that win. Now, if they don't win, don't ask me what the permutations are. It's just <laughs> ridiculous. But they, they, they beat St Mary's College, who incidentally also have a chance of top four and need to win mm-hmm. this game. That's probably worth pointing out. This isn't yeah. one of those sort of ones where, ah, oh, yeah, we'll send up a team, but we don't, we're not getting anything out of this. Mm-hmm. They can break into the top four, potentially, if they beat Balna Hinch. They're in fifth at the moment, St Mary's College. I will not yeah. go into all the details. It's highly unlikely that they, uh, well, no, you can't say that. If they win, they have a chance. But the way things are shaping up, Malone are currently in fourth position mm-hmm. and are likely to secure a top four place. Former leaders, Malone, likely to secure a top four place because they're playing Balamina, who are already relegated. Malone oh, okay. would be expected, or likely, I don't want to say expected, they would likely to get, say, their five from that, which yeah. should uh, secure their place. Yeah, so uh, it's all just about um, who they... Who down they at the other end of the table, sorry, I should mention, we have Banbridge and City of Armagh. Um, I think both have very, very remote chances. I think there's some, you know, some very... Oh, securing a playoff, yeah, of course. Yeah, some... Uh, are quite a humble because they only secured their survival last weekend. They did. Now they could be in a playoff. Yeah, or they could be. Such, such has been the nature of Division 1B all season. It's yeah. been like a congestion zone, and people have been jumping up and down and beating each other. There is a possibility... Um, that I think Banbridge and possibly Armagh can do it, but I think it's quite remote. Should we say? Yeah, they're on forty-two points and currently uh, Malone in 
fourth yeah. or own 45 but there, uh, yeah if anybody occurs enough to really look into that you can do it yourself we did the I think, ones, so. I think Old Wesley in second and Nason third also have games they've expected to win yeah so it's unlikely, uh, it's unlikely so mm. but I say Balinch one win title all we need to know uh, going down the divisions then just very briefly there are a few more Ulster teams who could be involved in playoffs Um but- should we start with 2A? There Let's is a team, Queen's yeah. University are in the playoff. They're fourth and they're secure in fourth. They oh, could. they're already secure? Yeah, oh yes. Oh, okay. um, there's a possibility that they might end up in third, but it's unlikely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as it is, they would be um, away uh, for their playoff semi-final uh, with the side whoever finishes bottom mm-hmm. in 1B. Who We know that, that's Buccaneers. Yeah. Buccaneers. Okay. So. so then Division 2B, there's a little bit more... Action in there with uh, Rainey potentially yeah. in the playoff to go up. Rainey, um, oh, they're definitely in a playoff. They're in a playoff. They're third. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, you're confusing me as well. Sorry, Rainey are just in third. Let you do it. <laughs> uh, they will be uh, away at Greystones uh, this weekend. Rainey play Barnhall at Rainey. Barnhall are going. Already champions are going for 18 wins from 18 games, which is no mean effort. And the expectation there would be that Rainey would not in any way be at all put out if Barnhall won that game because the most important games the following week for Rainey at Greystones the beginning of the playoffs and what about the the other two oh, Ulster no, teams in that is, division this is, this is where it gets a bit not complicated but it's a bit more complicated Belfast Harlequins uh, annihilated Sunday's well last week and rose up to 6th place sending Sunday's well down into Division 2C but it's very very tight there uh, Belfast Harlequins, Scarries, Dungannon and Galway Corinthians can all end up in ninth potentially. I think also there could be Wanderers too, but let's just focus on what Belfast Harlequins have to do. Belfast Harlequins uh, host Galway Corinthians on Saturday. Galway Corinthians are in ninth. If Harlequins win that game, uh, Harlequins are safe. If they deny Corinthians any bonus points, then Dungannon can probably afford to lose their playing Scarries and survive. But it's very tight down there. Um, as I say, there'll be some very uh, nervous people on uh, Twitter or whatever trying to find out what's happening in those games. But <laughs> yeah. if Belfast Harlequins win, they're safe. And that could also be enough to save Dungannon, save Dungannon. if Dungannon don't beat um, Scaries, who they travel to. Mm. Okay. okay. So Division 2C, we're getting there. We have Good, Oma and Bangor to, to think about down there. Well, yes, Oma are in fifth. They have an outside chance of still making the playoffs uh, overhauling by overhauling Bruff. Um, Oma host Ballina, who are already uh, champions and have been promoted. So Ballina's motivation might not be quite there. Mm-hmm. But um, it's an outside chance um, for Oma uh, because Bruff um, would have to lose to Middleton, who can't. Uh, they're in second and can't be overhauled. So okay. they're, they're, that, that might weigh against Oma. Um, now further down, then it gets a bit dicey. Uh, City Derry are safe in sixth. Uh, that, that's true. But uh, Bangor are in all sorts of terrible looking trouble. They're in ninth. They lost to Thomond last week, which was their 10th straight defeat. Uh, they could still finish 10th and be automatically relegated. But there are permutations. Oh, they love that word. Don't we love, we love these permutations. <laughs> permutations, yes. They're at home to Malahide, who um, I have nothing really to play for. Um, actually, I don't think that's entirely true. Um, Malahide could be. They're not going to be out of the top four, I don't think. But, um, oh no, hang on. Let me check that again. Um, 
No, they could move down to fourth, yeah, but they, they will get a playoff. Um, they'll be in the playoffs anyway, but um, Bangor need to win that game, and they also have to hope that uh, really other results go their way um, involving uh, Tullamore and Seapoint. Yeah. Uh, Tullamore host Derry, who have nothing to play for, mm-hmm. and Seapoint uh, actually, I think, host Thomond. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Yes, in 10th. So, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot riding on yeah. how Bangor, Bangor do, do plus could do as a result. They could do it, but they could very easily end up either bottom and straight out or ninth in a playoff yeah. with potentially Enstonians, right. if Enstonians come up and uh, runner up in the round robin. Mm-hmm. So. Which is, uh, well, should, should we say likely? What, what Enstonians obviously have their final game of the round robin to play this weekend? They do, um, and they're playing Clonmel, who they're currently level on points with. Mm-hmm. So a so lot, it's effectively a playoff for a playoff. Mm-hmm. A lot and Enstonians are as well. They're at home, but so, they yeah. obviously lost their previous they home did. game, and yeah. they got into the playoffs in um, rather dramatic fashion on the last day, last day of qual. Well, I was going to say qualifying one, whatever it's called now. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? There we are. All very interesting in the the club scene. Um, but best of luck to Paul Marshall. Mm-hmm. She pointed is playing for instance. Oh, best of luck indeed. Best of luck to all. Well, all of them, yeah. Going for, <laughs> for playoffs or. Instonians have been here before and uh, they haven't come out of it too well, but they um, certainly have a chance of yeah. a shot at it. And uh, what irony would it be if the uh, Bangor Instonians ended up having to? Would be a big game. Yeah. The only benefit would be that it would make things an awful lot tidier. Yes, for. This time of year, whenever I was reporting on Junior Rugby, you'd always have just the complete nightmare of trying to work out what it would mean if an Ulster team got promoted or relegated from the All-Ireland League because it has a knock-on oh, yeah. effect of like every league the whole way down. Yeah. That would be handy then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty much us for this week then. There's, there's nothing we've left out, we don't think, until... Big news breaks later on and everything's out of date. Well, that's what happens when you record the broadcast in like three parts. <laughs> what can we do? We all have other things to build. But anyway, from Michael Sadler, who back again this week, very much appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And from our full-time Ulster Rugby correspondent and author of The Last Amateur's Book, Jonathan Pratt. Thank you very much. <laughs> and from me, Gareth Thanks for listening.